Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig with details. Welcome to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you for tuning in. We hope that you brought a fluffy coat or a nice heavy blanket because this episode is going to be cold. <clears throat> cold War-esque. Look, not all the intros are going to be winners. Hi, I'm Ben. You ever seen those space blankets that they give the, uh, the refugee children? Mm -hmm. I have one in my car. I'm sorry, I really took it dark turn there mm. but they look like the things you'd put in your window to keep the sun from uh, mm -hmm. heating up your tight leather seats yeah those emergency blankets are incredible right and if you uh if you are someone who routinely drives long distances i highly recommend putting one in your go bag and also one of those uh things you can use to break the glass from the inside mm -hmm. in case you ever go off a cliff or <laughs> into the ocean or a lake Mm -hmm. Some body of water. They and make sure you get the kind that will let you cut the uh, seatbelt. Right, as well. it has like a, an extra attachment, a little razor almost right behind the the hammer. But uh, why are we talking about being prepared? Why are we talking about Cold War stuff? Hey, you're Noel, right? Oh yeah, yeah, still me. <laughs> and uh, who who is that handsome devil just outside the booth on the ones and twos? Is that good boy out there? Our boy Casey Pegram. <laughs> Yes, super producer Casey Pegram. Mm-hmm. Hey, remember that song by Dada called I'm Going to Disneyland? Yeah, actually, yeah. It's, it's like, this is a part where it says, Hitched a ride on a monkey's back, headed west into the black. I'm going to Disneyland. Bang, ding, 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 ding. You know who's not going to Disneyland? Nikita Khrushchev. Yep, we were going to... Uh, tease it out a little bit with the history of Disneyland, but let's, let's just get right to the heart of the matter. 
Disneyland is an iconic American thing, right? It's one of the world's most famous amusement parks, and people from across the planet associate it with the American dream, the iconic image of what Americans do for fun, right? You've, you've probably met some people from abroad who just assume you've been to Disneyland. What do you do at Disneyland, Ben? Well, uh, let's see. You can watch the fireworks for free. Uh-huh. That, uh huh. I've seen that. I've yeah. been to Anaheim and mm-hmm. I did not go to Disneyland, but those mm-hmm. fireworks, they probably get real dull mm-hmm. to the people that live there. They're just like, oh, look. Now you'll recall, I saw them. Again. I saw them too because I was in the same car oh, driving us back from I the know. beach. You're right. Ben, my, I have a short memory when it comes to beach related things. Mm-hmm. So. With with this in mind, uh, we also have to look at the context of the Cold War. And when we talk about the Cold War, we must mention and explore the life and times of the Soviet leader, Nikita Khrushchev, or as he's called in one of those press releases of the time. Oh, yeah, there's like this uh, newsreel. Well, I don't know, let's just hear it. Soviet Premier Khrushchev meets the masters of moviedom at a studio luncheon on the 20th century Fox lot in Hollywood, a meeting at which Mr. K gives himself quite a build-up. Yeah, I don't know if this guy is, like, smarter than us and all the rest of the people that have ever heard pronounce his name, but he says it uh, a little funny. Yeah, and I wonder, too... Khrushchev? Yeah, and I wonder, too, if this is a matter of the, the vestiges of transatlantic accent that was used uh, commonly back in the day for broadcast and radio. Maybe it's secretly like a dig. They're mispronouncing his name on purpose. Yeah, maybe it's some nefarious attempt at propagandistic demeaning. Because here's the thing. This clip that we just heard, um, obviously, was uh, from Khrushchev's tour of the United States in 1959. Um, And, you know, he does the the kind of touristy things you think you might do. He went to New York City, went to Los Angeles, and Des Moines? What? He went to Des Moines. It's a weird choice. It's a very popular, uh, very popular city. What's in Des Moines? (laughs) Americans, man. That's fair. That's fair. Okay, so he was touring the American dream. So you had to see what it's like in the big cities, and then you had to see what it's like in Des Moines, which I'm sure is lovely, by the way. Uh, Yeah, it's the capital and most populous city in Iowa. Mm -hmm. It's the the big tent of Iowa. I think that's where Slipknot, the band, is from. I believe you're right. It's definitely Iowa, right? Mm -hmm. And off air, while we were prepping for this episode, Casey brought up a fantastic parallel that nicely complements our Khrushchev Khrushchev question. Uh, Casey, maybe could you explain it for us? Wait, is this Casey on the case? Yeah, I was thinking if maybe um, when they first started reporting on this guy, they didn't have the pronunciation quite down yet, which is kind of seems to have happened much more recently in the news with uh, Robert Mueller, or as he was initially known, Robert Mueller. And it's kind of strange how like all the news coverage sort of shifted to that updated pronunciation just something I kind of picked up on. And that's been Casey on the case. I love that segment. I love that guy. <laughs> yes, unreservedly. 
Someone who was a little bit tougher to love, of course, was Nikita Khrushchev. Uh, what, what do you say, Noel? You want to talk a little bit about his life and times, his rise to power pre-U.S. tour? Have you seen The Death of Stalin, the movie? Mm-hmm. Watched on a plane. It was great. So good. If anyone hasn't seen it, I highly recommend it to get a little info on what led to Khrushchev gaining power. He was born in April 15th of 1894 in a Russian village called Kilinovka. Um, and he ended up joining the Bolsheviks, the communist Bolsheviks, and rising in the ranks quite quickly, found his way into the inner circle of our man Joseph Stalin, mm-hmm. um, who ruled Soviet Russia with an iron fist. I would say platinum. This was a neutron star of a fist, massive pressure. In fact, the death of Stalin, the historical occurrence, not just the film, could be its own episode because it is tragically ridiculous. Oh, tragically ridiculous. And the movie really leans on that. It's this incredible director, satirist, Armando Iannucci, who is responsible for the show Veep. And he also did another show that was similarly satirical and political called The Thick of It that aired uh, on British television. But this film, Death of Stalin, it uses the absurdity that you might see in something like Curb Your Enthusiasm, this kind of like slapstick, almost just cartoonish buffoonery of the jockeyings of these various members of Stalin's inner circle to one-up each other and get the upper hand after the leader dies. And in the end, Khrushchev, who's played by Steve Buscemi, who doesn't put on a Russian accent, that's part of the joy of the movie too, is they all use their own voices. And your first question whenever you're contemplating seeing a film is, is Steve Buscemi in it. So he this, is. this has the Buscemi seal of approval. <laughs> and he plays uh, Khrushchev, and it's he plays it so... Uh, I don't know what the word is. It's like he's got, he's got, the, he's got that Steve Buscemi skittering nervous energy, just like you'd think. He's, he's not... Peter Lore. Very I much think. so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Peter Lore, like, uh, who does... Um, well, he did all those monster movies, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Anyway, he's got that look with those those Buscemi eyes. Yeah, that yeah. That are yeah. dreamy slash sunken and large. You know who else has that look? Is the protagonist in, um, oh, what's that? Uh, Mr. Robot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Romy Malik yeah. is playing uh, playing Freddie Mercury in the new Queen biopic. It looks. Okay. Yeah, it was supposed to be Sasha Baron Cohen, but they left over creative differences, which is a shame. I'd love to see that film. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if those creative differences remain and they wash over some of the uh, more controversial parts of Freddie Mercury's story. But we're not talking about Freddie Mercury, are we? Yeah, so... Before before we get to Khrushchev, let's, let's step back to the death of Stalin and right before his life, because we say that he ruled with a with a massive heavy hand, and we hear that often about different political leaders. But in Stalin's case, this uh, this is not an exaggeration, and that is a very unfortunate truth. He was legendary for not just killing people, but removing them from history, having them scrubbed out of photographs. Mm -hmm. He was brutal, ruthless, relentless, had no friends, only interest, and was also known to regularly replace members of his inner circle, not if they, not because they had done anything or even tried to do anything, but because he did not want someone consistently being there because he saw that as just a longer length of time for them to undermine him yes. or, or try to grab power. Just that kind of paranoia that everyone will eventually betray me. Mm. And that's why this the, the way this it's depicted in this movie is so cool because it's just this 
no one trusts anybody because mm-hmm. that's the precedent that's been set, and that's the attitude that kind of pervades throughout the whole thing. I want to talk a little bit about his death. He died, uh, as we said, in March in 1953. On the 1st of March, a few days beforehand, his staff found him semi-conscious on the bedroom floor. He, he had suffered a cerebral hemorrhage, and even now, after this very terrible, difficult death— uh, people still suspect that he may have been murdered. So keep this in mind when we talk about Khrushchev, who, as we established, does win this uh, power struggle. Uh, Khrushchev remains a possible murder suspect. Well, everyone was a suspect, another. right? Like yeah. that was, I mean, there's this, as soon as someone realizes that he is dead, there's this immediate rush to point fingers anywhere else but at oneself in his mm-hmm. inner circle, right? Mm-hmm. And... One of the things that I think inspires or informs the film The Death of Stalin is just how terrified people were to disturb him. While, while he was dead, uh, they thought that he might still be alive and that they would encounter the death penalty for uh, waking him from his slumber uh, that, you know, turned out to be an eternal slumber. And Khrushchev, Khrushchev, who did succeed and become the ruler in this uh, chaotic what would you call it? Charade. Sure. This chaotic charade. And Khrushchev becomes the first secretary of the Communist Party there in the USSR on the 14th of September in 1953. And then by 1958, March, he moves up to become the chairman of the Council of Ministers. And I believe he was already the head of the Communist Party, the highest ranking official, only six months after Um, the death of Stalin. And then it was governed, the USSR was governed by a collective um, many for for several years. And then he became premier um, after George Malenkov. That's right. Malenkov was the guy that was played by Jeffrey Tambor in the movie. And he's sort of a patsy. Mm -hmm. The way he's portrayed in the movie is like he gets the top job, but no one likes him, and <laughs> he's kind of, everyone thinks he's sort of a buffoon. He, he likes to be the one that's sort of the smiling face the, of, you know, the, the party, but behind the scenes, he, he's portrayed as kind of an idiot. <laughs> right, and there's, uh, there's a huge geopolitical context to this as well, because you'll notice we mentioned different dates in the 50s. The Cold War is in full swing between the USSR and the United States, or I mean, most particularly through them, but then that also factors in some forces that are friendly with the USSR, some forces that are historically friendly with the U.S. In this time, both leaders of these countries are attempting to minimize the possibility of a catastrophic atomic war, ultimately, right? And that's when we see things like the concept of mutually assured destruction of the idea that the only way to prevent nuclear weapons being deployed is if uh, your enemies can also retaliate, you know, and they know you can. So there's a lot of propaganda that goes on. Khrushchev is to this day uh, the recipient of some misquotes, you know, that history is kind of um, exaggerated. What was the biggie you mentioned earlier, Ben? <laughs> What's called the shoe-banging incident. You you remember this one, right? Yeah, it's like when Bush got the shoe thrown at him, but kind of in reverse. Oh, here's an episode idea pitch. Tell us what you think of this, folks. History's most important shoes. 
There you go. I've, I've, uh, that, it could be like a, a new version of weird people who built weird things. Yeah, I like it. The shoes that built a nation. <laughs> or, or crushed one. Or tore right? it down. Yeah. So in uh, 19, this is just an outside of chronology example. And the, in 1960, at the United Nations General Assembly uh, in October, Khrushchev pounded his shoe in, in public, uh, protesting a speech by a delegate from the Philippines. And then the story spread in a propagandistic way and multiple versions proliferated. But this all goes to show these were intense times. And regardless of how you feel about Khrushchev and uh, Nixon, when we go back to the 50s, uh, the fact of the matter is that they, they were trying to at least on some levels, they were trying to prevent a, a civilization leveling war. And they engaged in something that ended up being called the kitchen debate. Uh, they sat down with them and their interpreters and had what uh, corporate America today would call a healthy conversation about their differing viewpoints. Wait, it wasn't about like interior design. <laughs> it was not. It was not kitchen about decor. It was not about the advantages of an island kitchen layout. Uh, nor was it about whether or not to have a trash compactor in the White House. Instead, it was uh it, it was about their vastly different views of which economic system was superior. Capitalism and uh this representative democracy idea or communism and a more centralized economy. Khrushchev, like Nixon, being a man with a temper, uh, had impassioned arguments. And it, and it was actually, it did take place in a kitchen. It was in a model kitchen at the American National Exhibition in Moscow. So it's like you and me getting in a fight at an Ikea. I, that's not too much of a stretch, man. Every time I go into an Ikea, I feel like I go a little bit insane. Mm -hmm. The way they trap you in those hedge mazes of... Tiny furniture and accessories. You got to know the shortcuts. I know the shortcuts, man, but it still does it just, it's, it's, oh, it, it hurts my brain. <laughs> and I always find myself like this close to flying off the handle. I love it, man. I love Ikea. Flying off the tiny Swedish ergonomic handle. There we go. There we go. Uh, there was a guy, I, I can't remember where it was. It was definitely in the States who, while his apartment was being fixed, cracked a deal with his local Ikea to live there. Did you hear about that? Yeah, I wonder if you could pull that kind of scenario off in an Ikea. I feel like you could hide mm -hmm. under, you know, one of those little hideaway beds and, uh, just, yeah. you know, kind of stow away in the Ikea. They have a lot of cameras, though, in surprising places. But <laughs> but I, I guess all that has to do with today's episode is mass surveillance, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so what's the outcome of this debate. They were just verbally abusing each other. It did not come to fisticuffs, and it appeared to have a good result. Oh, thank God. What kind of result was that? They agreed that Khrushchev, the leader of the Soviet Union, uh -huh. would visit the U.S. Mr. Khrushchev comes to Washington. <laughs> right. And uh, this comes about. So to be clear, Richard Nixon was vice president at this time when he was visiting Moscow. It's not as if the president of the time visited Russia. Uh, that would be Dwight Eisenhower. So President Eisenhower decided to invite Khrushchev, kind of inspired by this kitchen debate talk and also by some concerns about Berlin. Yeah, for sure. Because it was also Khrushchev, I believe, that uh, okayed the building of the Berlin Wall. Yeah, tensions are high. Big time. 
tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts of a spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right. No, it's it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com where America goes to hire. So what do you do with a, with a diplomatic tour like this, Benjamin? Well, Noljamin, you are immediately confronted by a ton of considerations. Oh, yeah. First, what we call today the optics, uh-huh. right? Uh, and then and both sides probably have competing opinions about what should be depicted because it's go for show i mean let's be real Mm -hmm. what else is there to accomplish you know Mm -hmm. i I even read like he came back at the end for some very unproductive talks (laughs) which i'm sure ultimately these kitchen debates didn't exactly set the world on fire in terms of like oh communism is good or oh capitalism is good it's like maybe we just should hang out and not shoot missiles at each other. Yeah, which is an excellent starting point. You know, Ben, when you put it like that, that that is a pretty good outcome. (laughs) I don't know what I was saying. But, Ben, considerations. Well, first off, wouldn't it have been amazing? Wouldn't the world be such a different place if either of them had persuaded the other one? I I just, I'm interested in your idea, because can you imagine Nixon coming back to the U.S. and saying, guys, I got in an argument in this model kitchen, and I'm convinced we should be communist. That would be amazing. He probably wouldn't have been president. No, 
<laughs> don't think that would have gone over too well with these small business owners of America. So we found this great article on the Smithsonian. Nikita Khrushchev goes to Hollywood uh, that examines some of the timeline and some of the, some of the factors playing into this famous visit. And we mentioned optics, but another huge, huge concern is security, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, they had like parades in Washington. I think it was some of the biggest attendance of any foreign dignitary centric parade, right? Because people wanted to get a load of this guy, right? I mean, this was like a, he loomed large in yeah. the consciousness of the American public being, you know, this um, big bad kind of, you know, that was like pointing missiles at us. Yeah. And he, uh, duck and cover and all that, yeah. right? Yeah. And he was such a ham when he initially showed up there. Uh, Eisenhower read a welcoming speech when Khrushchev landed uh, in September 15th, 1959. And during the whole time, Khrushchev was uh, mugging, was, was like doing what, you mean he was like, like he like was purse snatching? <laughs> yeah, that's what he was doing from the stage, which was really weird. People yeah. just kept walking up. That's tough, man. <laughs> he was doing a, luckily he was doing a much friendlier version of that. He, he was, like, picture him. Oh, he's a goofy-looking dude. Yeah. Oh, yeah, He's yeah, got yeah. a big old gap tooth and, mm. and this, like, kind of d- funny double chin and, and just, like, a odd-shaped face. And, his and has a this shaved head. Shaved head, just very clownish kind of look. And I'm not, that's not passing judgment. I'm just, look at the guy. He's got a, a odd vibe. <laughs> and he, uh, he embraced it, at least at this part, because while while Eisenhower was talking, he was like waving his hat at people. He winked at a little girl. Uh, he clearly wasn't paying too much attention because remember he was he hears English through interpreters, right? right? That's right. So he saw a butterfly go by and just had to turn and like st- yes, <laughs> yes, me, uh, Khrushchev <laughs> in America. One reporter taking it all in. One reporter said he stole the show with the studied nonchalance of an old vaudeville trooper. That you know, that's funny. I'm looking at this picture too, um, from that news clip we played earlier, and it's uh, it's him posing next to Ike and I believe Eisenhower's wife, and Eisenhower is just stony faced with his arms crossed in front of him, and Khrushchev is just goofily <laughs> grinning from <laughs> ear to ear. Because you gotta think, man. He was probably being cocky about it, right? Yeah. It's like, I mean, we welcomed him with open arms, you know, gave him a parade. Mm-hmm. He sort of probably felt like he had he got one over on old Ike. Yeah, and then he also, he, he felt like this was an opportunity. We're speculating here, but he also had to feel like this is an opportunity to show the people of the U.S. that I'm not this scary, monstrous entity. Uh, but he's... You can find these great anecdotes of, of different parts of his visit, but we, we also have to admit a lot of this was calculated, right? It had to be. Oh, yeah. And he, uh, th- there's this story where he went to a farm in Maryland and he, quote, petted a pig and complained that it was too fat then grabbed a turkey and griped that it was too small. So he's just, like, doing live comedy bits. Oh, I saw a thing about the turkey. He said, oh, in, in, in Russia, we only like fat turkeys. <laughs> just like, what? What, you, what what kind of thing to say is that? And, um, you know, all seems to be going to plan. Mm-hmm. I still want to know what he did in Des Moines. Probably visited. I, I get he was doing, like, the Heartland kind of situation, right? Yeah, yeah. The Soviet embassy in the days 
leading up to the visit, in the weeks leading up to the visit, uh, they received hundreds of letters from small and large towns in the U.S. that were inviting Khrushchev and the Soviet delegation. Uh, they were saying, like, come to our county fair. It's happening while you're in the country. You can, you know, uh, you can enter a float, said the chairman of the Minnesota Apple Festival. If you have an idea, let us know. I got a good one. I found a picture of him on his visit to Des Moines where uh, there's quite a, a rotund fellow uh, in front of him wearing some overalls. And you see Khrushchev patting his belly. And the quote next to the picture is, now that is a real American. <laughs> is that okay? Can I, do the, can I do the Russian accent? Is that okay? I think so. I think it's in good fun. It's in good fun and in good faith. In good faith, yeah. Sure. So, so he... Uh, he had all these these strange, uh, amazing dog and uh, pony show moments. Yeah, hilarious mm-hmm. encounters. Mm-hmm. I'd say, and uh, what what I always think is missing from this story, and what I would love to learn more about, is what that interpreter went through. Because you know he had to basically be Khrushchev's shadow. Yeah, and translate whatever wild cockamamie stuff this guy was spouting off with into something that sounded reasonable. Yes. That's true. I've always wondered about that. Do do uh, interpreters ever editorialize? Do you think they're ever given like special instructions from like higher ups where it's like, look, don't translate exactly what this crazy dude says. <laughs> Try to soften the blow a little bit, you know? It, you know, there are some pretty hard and fast rules about that. Yeah. Depending on what type of interpretation or what kind of sphere it occurs in. But one of the weird things about these different languages is that in some languages, you can say things in a way that you cannot in other languages, right? That's right, right yeah. So you might say, um, tell them I want to make the deal, but it's no walk in the park. And if they say that in the other language, mm-hmm. that doesn't make any sense. Right. That's, uh, so they have to say something else. Might be something like, that's no butter on the blanket. Mm-hmm, right. I don't know. And you know what it makes me think of, too, is those people that do sign language at rap concerts, mm-hmm. surely they're taking some liberties as well. That's just, you know, a lot of information going by. I'm interested. I'm, I'm very interested in that. You know, uh, it may surprise some people to learn that signing, the signing languages also differ by language. There's mm-hmm. like, we know ASL here in the U.S., or we know of it rather, but uh, if someone who is who can sign travels to China, or more appropriately Russia for this mm-hmm. episode, uh, they might be entirely adrift. Yeah. See, we haven't lost the plot. We're still talking about Russia. Yeah, we got there. So let's let's get to the heart of the matter. Everything's <laughs> Everything, at least, uh, from, trucking right along from yeah. Khrushchev's mm-hmm. perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, he's having a great time. Uh, he goes to Hollywood, and people are super excited to see him. I believe that the um, he made a deal with 20th Century Fox to watch the filming of a Broadway musical. Yeah, well, he, I think he did a studio tour, right? And um, the the president of 20th Century Fox at the time, a man named Spiro Skouras. Um, introduced him at a special luncheon at Los Angeles' town hall. Um, and this is actually where a little static got into the mix. It's kind of when things started going south. Um, Skouras made a, made a bit of a joke about uh, referencing this line that Khrushchev had said in the past that the Soviet Union would bury capitalism. And he said something to the effect of, in L.A., we were not interested in burying anyone, but we would meet any challenge. And then Khrushchev, very miffed, responds, 
If you want to go on with the arms race very well, we accept that challenge. As for the output of rockets, well, they are on the assembly line. This is a most serious question. It is one of life or death, ladies and gentlemen, one of war and peace. Oof. Yeah. That, that little dog and pony show took a, took a turn. Yeah, those dogs started biting. But this, and those ponies started kicking. Mm-hmm. I feel like as just they, to complete, as, they, as, as they do, just to complete that reference. Uh, but this is just the beginning, as Billy Mays was wont to say. Wait, there's more. Mm-hmm. Khrushchev, who again, uh, as I think we said earlier, had a notorious temper. His anger went through the roof when he learned that not only was Spiros Skoros uh, part of what he saw as a campaign to heckle him. Did you see that part? He thought there was a campaign to heckle him throughout the U.S. Trying to make a fool of me. I know. I am the one who makes a fool of me. Oh, is that a butterfly? Mm-hmm. And, uh, Yay! <laughs> right? And uh, he became even more incensed when he learned that of all the places he was going, of all the places he had planned to visit, one was off limits to him now, and that was Disneyland. It's only the happiest place on earth. Fireworks every night, guys, I'm telling you. So we could reasonably assume that maybe he was being punished by not being let into Disneyland. Like, hey, if you start threatening people, including everyone in our country with this idea of rockets Mm -hmm. bombarding citizens, then you can't go to our funnest place. Well, now, you know, that's that's what I thought. I figured it was like someone saying, nah, man, we don't want you here. Mm -hmm. Disney himself even, right? Who, who, as we know, was no fan of... uh, Communism. He's a, you know, tried and true capitalist all the way. Um, but it turns out it was, it was much more likely that the security you were talking about, Ben, those considerations, mm-hmm. it was just too much to handle for a guy like that to be able to go and have a nice, fun day at Disneyland without, like, shutting the whole park down and devoting devoting the whole thing to him. And, you know, man, that's not going to happen. I don't yeah. care who you are. Not yeah. Give you, no, one, no one gets Disneyland for a day. <laughs> right? Not even Walt. Not even Walt. And we have, a, we have a short clip here of Walt Disney actually speaking about Khrushchev. Khrushchev was a guest of the government. So, I mean, we were ready to receive Khrushchev. But it so happened that uh, the security problem here in Los Angeles, because actually Disneyland is in another county, and the chief of police, we can't blame him, he had, a, he had quite a chore there to carry out. He just uh, was, was a little worried about uh, somebody maybe walking in Disneyland with a shopping bag and what they might have in it. He was never able to know, you know. Exactly. Yeah. But we were ready for him. The press was ready. Both the State Department security and the Soviet security had come and cased Disneyland, and they were all set. And I was already. In fact, uh, we've had a lot of dignitaries down there. And, I should and say. He, he was one that Mrs. Disney wanted to go down and meet, was Khrushchev. Oh, she was disappointed he didn't come. <laughs> well, it's uh, it's certainly not ever an empty place, so I can understand the security men's uh, concern. I had we had different shops, places where we take pictures with Khrushchev, and I had one of my favorite, where I lined up in front of my eight submarines. You see, and I thought well, it'd be nice. I've been pointing to Mr. Khrushchev, saying, "Well, now, Mr. Khrushchev, here's my." Disneyland submarine fleet. <laughs> it's the eighth, uh, the eighth largest submarine fleet in the world. Is it really? So, despite the fact that, uh, you know, there's clearly a lot of tension here, the stated official concern is that it would be 
as we said, so difficult to protect him in these crowds. Right. They said they could not guarantee his safety, which even the wording of that <laughs> taken the wrong way uh, yeah. through a translator perhaps by a particularly cantankerous man who's used to getting his way almost sounds like a bit of a threat. Yeah. <laughs> and we can't guarantee your safety. And he exploded when he found out. Uh, we have the quote, and I say, I would very much like to go and see Disneyland. But then, we cannot guarantee your security, they say. Then what must I do? Commit suicide? What is it? Is there an epidemic of cholera there or something? Or have gangsters taken hold of the place that can destroy me? He left Los Angeles the next morning. In a huff, no doubt. Oh, sure. Did you read uh, who we can kind of blame for planting this idea in his head? Who, who was it? Bob Hope. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, uh, at that luncheon at Town Hall, uh-huh. um, where the comment was made by the, the 20th Century Fox president, Bob Hope said that it was a lovely place and that he really should check it out. Come on, Bob Hope. Causing <laughs> diplomatic incidents with your congeniality. And then um, when uh, Khrushchev erupted, Ooh. this was... He was surrounded by these celebrities, and Frank Sinatra apparently, <laughs> this just sounds comical, apparently leaned over to David Niven, and, and a lot of this was centered around, too, Khrushchev's wife wanted to go right, to Disneyland. Right, Nina Khrushchev. Yeah, that, that was more the, the thing, and, and his child. Um, <laughs> Sinatra leans over to David Niven and says, tell the old broad, you and I will take him down there this afternoon. <laughs> And so, you know, this this is also one of those things where the guy feels like his social reputation's on the line. If you're married, don't you want your spouse and your kid to be happy? Well, but the thing is, the State Department did give the thumbs up for his wife and daughter to go to Disneyland, mm-hmm. but he couldn't do it. And the way he's portrayed in these stories, mm-hmm. he sounds like a big man baby where it's like, I want to go to Disneyland. And if I can't go, you can't go. Mm-hmm. You know, and like he would deny his wife and child the joys of the happiest place on earth. What a monster. Right. And is uh, what we call in today's common parlance, not a good look. That's an early 2000s turn of phrase, I guess. Mm-hmm. So when they say they cannot guarantee his safety and therefore he cannot go, even though other members of his entourage, including his family, can, uh, we have to understand there's, if not a credible threat to security, the consequences of the Soviet premier dying in the U.S. are huge. Well, nobody dies at Disneyland, Ben. Right. I think uh, I was going to do an episode on that a while back. Maybe we could do it on this show. Sure. <laughs> but uh, you know what I'm talking about. It's like the early. It's like a myth, I guess. I it's a common. Uh, it's it's a common internet rumor. Yes, you know? that's right. Uh, but the thing is, if Khrushchev did somehow die, even if it was a complete accident, even if he was just walking down the street and had a heart attack, even if he got decapitated on Space Mountain, mm-hmm, uh, we would, as a country, uh, dare I say, as a species be much, much closer to some sort of international arms exchange. Yeah, it's a very tenuous situation. And that's why it's like, it's weird because with politics like this, on the one hand, you're like, it's all for show. But on the other hand, it's life and death. Mm-hmm. Whining and dining these uh, leaders and, you know, having successful meetings is in a sense that they are being respected and, you know, given the, the, the five-star treatment or whatever. And so <laughs> even this idea of him being denied entry into Disneyland and him having a hissy fit 
That could have set off an international incident, right? Yeah, right. Uh, and they were already playing fast and loose because that that musical they mentioned, apparently Khrushchev was not a fan of that. Later, he denounced it as pornographic exploitation. Didn't he meet Shirley MacLaine? Wasn't she in it? Yeah, because in the in the musical, he saw Shirley MacLaine playing a dancer uh, and Sinatra plays a French lawyer who falls in love with McLean's character. But the 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 crazy... <laughs> The crazy thing is, just to give you the way the U.S. later saw this, uh, Wiley T. Buchanan, the State Department's chief of protocol, later described the choice of showing him this musical as, quote, the worst choice imaginable. Ah, yes. <laughs> the, the least good thing we could have done. First of all, I cannot even begin to imagine Sinatra playing a French person. <laughs> It's like a. Did you ever see that John Wayne film where he tries to play Genghis Khan? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's real. It's a real oof moment. Oh goodness gracious! Yeah, it was in uh, the Conqueror, and uh, yeah, he um, they did that thing, and it uh, it didn't seem that great when it came out, no. even even in 1956. And uh, spoiler alert, it did not age well. Well, let, let's see what the musical with Shirley MacLaine and Sinatra was called. Right, Can Can. Ah, yes, Can Can. I have not seen it, but I, I mean, I'm interested now that I know that I get to see Frank Sinatra playing a Frenchman. <laughs> it's also got Maurice Chevalier in it. But no Steve Buscemi. Ah, alas. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonneville. 
right? It's, oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was, a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, <laughs> I said El Camino and I meant Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So what happens after he is denied entry into this American paradise on Earth? Yeah, he kind of goes, he kind of gets over it. He eventually does get over. And in yeah. the same trip, he he makes his way, continues the rest of his itinerary, and ends up back in Washington, where, as I said, they had some very uh, unproductive talks. <laughs> yeah, some unproductive talks. The U.S. and the Soviet relationship would continue to be very tense. And chilly. Fraught. Yeah, chilly. Bring your space blanket. A bit frigid uh, and fraught with problems. And especially in the uh, in 1960 and 61, U-2 planes, the spy aircraft, uh, not planes flown by Bono and the Edge, they became the subject of an international healthy conversation. And the Cold War would continue. In October of 1964, Khrushchev uh, retired from his office due officially to advanced age and ill health. Notice here, friends and neighbors, that I say officially because, you see, his request to retire was not voluntary, not entirely voluntary on his part. Yeah, apparently he was on vacation uh, in uh, in Georgia, not not our Georgia, the other Georgia. The P Soviet Pitsunda, Republic. The, yeah. the Soviet Republic of Georgia. And he was called back um, and they made him resign mm -hmm. as not only as the premier, but also that illustrious post as the head of the of the communist party and he lived out the remainder of his life working on a memoir um and he ultimately died of a heart attack in a deep depression he had a pension of 500 rubles a month later they cut it to 400 oh man insults injury yeah man it is a, a dog eat dog world over there in soviet russia at the heights of power right uh, yeah, he, he was a victim of a conspiracy, and he never got to Disneyland. Sad. But you can. <laughs> you can. Uh, yeah, if, if you got about $500 to blow. And, and the free time and the travel. Right. But, uh, again, uh, one of my favorite things about it is you just have to be in town to see those beautiful 
fireworks. Yeah, I opted not to go because I was looking at the rides and stuff, and I'm like, these are all like kid rides. But then I guess it's all about the design and the experience. Mm-hmm. And I'm also not a fan of waiting in lines. I, if I can avoid it, I'll I don't I'll think anyone's it. a fan of waiting in lines. It's true, but I, there, there's a there's a cost versus reward sure. equation for me where it's like. All right, what's the line for? How much do I want it? How long a line am I willing to wait in? Disneyland just seems like a series of lines to me. For, for me, roller coasters are a tough sell. There's also a lot of corruption in Disney World and Disneyland. Uh, there was recently with the use of different sorts of passes. Oh, you mean like bootlegging fast passes or just like, like bootlegging uh, fast passes? Traveling with someone who has a, a physical disability, right? So that you can jump in the line. For me, there's a line a, mule. Yeah, the, for me, there's a a huge cost benefit analysis that makes roller coasters a tough sell, especially on a crowded day, because it's not just that you're waiting for forty five minutes or an hour; it's that you're waiting for something that takes three minutes. Oh, totally. Once That's a really there. good point. Uh, I have season passes to Six Flags here in Georgia, and um, I will only go during the down season because I went like on the first day of summer with my kid. We waited in line for an hour and a half, got to the front of the line and the ride broke and we were, it broke us mentally. We're like, we're going home. But thankfully we have season passes. It wasn't like we traveled, you know, across the country to ride this roller coaster. Speaking of things across the country and even across the world, uh, it's a shame that Khrushchev never got to go to Disneyland, but uh, I, I think it leads us to an inspiring question. What's your favorite amusement park in your part of the world? One that a lot of people might not know of. For us here in Atlanta, it's Six Flags over Georgia. Yeah, and what's the next step for us diplomatically as far as amusement parks are concerned? Is it going to be Kim Jong-un goes to Magic Mountain? Yeah. You tell me. Is uh, Vladimir Putin going to make it to Universal Studios finally? See that Harry Potter land I keep hearing so much about. (laughs) Let us know on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, where you can find us as Ridiculous History. Also, as we always like to say, check out our community page, Ridiculous Historians. Yeah, we got some fun conversations there and little extra bits and bobs that, um, you know, help give you a, a richer Ridiculous History experience. And oh, my goodness, last episode, we totally neglected to do credits. So we're gonna do credits for two episodes because last episode is very important very important because last episode the one about election rigging and drunken debauchery at the polls yeah it came to us courtesy of our researcher Eve's Jeffcoat Eve's Jeffcoat it was her first uh, Uh submission um, helping us along on that one and we wanted to we were remiss in not thanking her during the actual episode so we're trying to make up for that now (laughs) I'd also like to point out that Eves is a co-host on two other fantastic How Stuff Work shows, Stuff Mom Never Told You and Afropunk Solution Sessions, which uh, Casey and I actually worked on in the very early days. Oh, and you two were there. I did. Yeah, yeah that was a fun one. Um, so check both of those out on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, be sure to drop us a nice review if you don't mind, just to, you know, it makes us feel good in our hearts. And it also supposedly helps the iTunes algorithm <laughs> shove our show into people's ears. <laughs> And thanks to super producer Casey Pegram. Thanks to Alex Williams for composing the track. Thanks to our research assistant, Christopher Hasiotis, mm-hmm. who tipped us to the strange story of the Cold War and Walt Disney. And please join us next time when we go into the interesting and potentially sordid past 
of the song Louie Louie by the <laughs> Kingsman. It's going to be a rollicking good time full of music and might just have a special guest. Uh, with, we'll do our best to have intelligible lyrics. Uh-huh, it's true. See you then. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. 